So good morning, Granville. Uh, good to see you again, and uh, welcome for any of you who are visiting. Uh, we are just starting this week a, uh, a new series in prayer, uh, timed to fit around our 24-7 uh, prayer initiative. And uh, we're in a new year already, uh, although uh, it's been a busy week, and uh, it feels for some of us like uh, the new year is pretty old already. Uh, many of the old challenges and issues uh, are real and still with us, uh, even as we open up with new possibilities and new things going on. So I'm excited, and I hope you're excited too, that we are going to be doing our 24-7 prayer. Shall I switch over? Thank you. <laughs> there we go. That's it. Now we're, now we're good. Uh, so uh, many of you have signed up already, I know, for the 24-7 prayer, but there are a lot of gaps remaining. And uh, remember that uh, the plan uh, behind this is that we try to keep uh, that room uh, in the lounge, uh, I was going to say manned, but I think that's not the right word these days, um, filled uh, every hour of the 24-7 uh, with someone in there praying for the week that begins uh, next Sunday right after our service. So uh, we welcome all to come and uh, to sign up. Uh, but let's use those uh, sign-up slots for people who know they can actually be there uh, in the room, because uh, it's a bit disappointing if you if you come expecting to hand on the uh, or expecting to have the baton of prayer handed on to you, and there's no one there. Uh, and let's see if we can make that uh, the the, uh, the the deal. And uh, there's opportunities to sign up with Shayla, Jan, and uh, Rhonda, I think, afterwards uh, at the uh, connect uh, connect table. Uh, so, that's 24-7 uh, that's prayer, and our prayer series that we're beginning is actually going into the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, and we're going to look at three uh, sections of teaching on prayer from that, uh, that letter that is hopefully going to help us as a community uh, as we step uh, into that prayer room uh, uh, to, to do that big task of praying uh, for a whole hour. Uh, uninterrupted. And uh, that's why this morning we're looking at this first passage out of chapter 1, uh, the verses we've just had read to us from verses 15 uh, to 19. Now, as we get into this, it's probably worth admitting that for many of us, prayer is more than slightly mysterious. In prayer, we address God, who is invisible to almost all of us uh, most of the time, and we hope and expect that He will hear us and answer us. Sometimes, and I think many of us can attest to this, there are answers to prayer that blow us out of the water. We just get a sense like, wow, God, You heard us. But then, if we are honest, and we should be honest, there are times when we pray and nothing seems to happen, and we sit there wondering, did God hear us? Were we praying right? Was there an answer? 
And so many of the events of our lives leave us with more questions than answers. We've all been praying for Angelo for the last 32 months, ever since his diagnosis. He was initially given three months to live. Did God answer our prayer? Well, actually, I think He did. Most of the doctors told, uh, told Angela that he should have been dead months ago. So, did God answer our prayer? But Angelo is now with the Lord. There's mystery in this, right? And there's mystery for all of us in all the issues that are close to our heart around prayer. Most of us, if asked, would probably recognize that we are truly puny prayers. We're not great at this. It's struggle. We wonder what we're doing as we pray. Some of our praying is very basic. Help! That most fundamental and basic of all prayers. And we all get that one out on occasions. At other times... Some of us have tasted the presence of God when we pray, and we long for more of that, but sometimes it just seems elusive for us. So, as we go into Ephesians, we're going to be spending time around a spiritual giant, the Apostle Paul, who definitely knew a bit about prayer, and I hope that it's going to encourage all of us to step forward into this arena this ocean, perhaps, is a better description of what prayer is really like. I think so many of us feel like we're just tipping our toes in the, in the little ripples at the edge of what is a huge ocean. And I think the Apostle Paul would say to us, come on in, the water's lovely. Some of you polar bear dipped this week. Brave, hardy, foolish souls. And, uh, but that whole invitation to come into the water is what I think we want to be hearing this morning as we look at this passage on prayer. The letter uh, to the Ephesians is believed to have been an encyclical letter written to help many of the new churches that were springing up in the Roman province of Asia. And Paul starts out his letter with a rich section of praise to God for all the blessings that Christians have received in Christ. In fact, it is in Christ that all the blessings actually lie. As Paul uh, writes the opening section of this chapter, some of you will be quite familiar with it, but, but it's all about being in Christ. For he says, it is Christ who has chosen His people before the creation of the world in order to be homely, holy and blameless in His sight, it is Christ who arranged for us to be adopted as His children. It is in Christ that we receive redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, and access to the grace of God. It is Christ who made known to us the mystery of His will, which is to bring everything in earth and heaven together under Christ's rule. From this first part of chapter 1, it's clear that Paul has given lots of thought and study to the person and work of Jesus Christ, 
and that what he writes is the praise overflow, if you like, of his study and his meditation. So having begun his letter with praise to God, Paul shifts to consider the impact of the gospel on the Ephesian Christians. When they heard the good news about Jesus, they believed it and were marked out as different by the fact that they received the Holy Spirit. And think back to some of those stories in Acts about the coming of the Spirit and the difference that made to people. As the Spirit fills people, they get changed. They're not the same anymore. That group in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, frightened, uncertain, hiding from people. Suddenly, the wind of the Spirit blows. The flames descend. And those people are changed. They're not the same anymore. They go dancing out into the street, confident in who they are in Christ. And it's because they've received the Holy Spirit. And they receive a boldness to declare who they are. We are the church. We are the people of God. And out of that, great things happen as the church grows. So the Spirit makes the difference. And Paul is reminding the Ephesian believers, when the Spirit came, you changed. Remember that. Don't forget it. In fact, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit that causes Paul joy because they have become his brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's now that we come to the passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, the insight into Paul's prayer life uh, as we look at verses 15 to 19. So Paul says, Ever since that he has heard about the Ephesians' faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints, he has not stopped giving thanks for them as he remembers them in his prayers. Well, that's an interesting statement. It gives us some insight into the way Paul prayed. Clearly, thanksgiving is a pretty big component of his praying, right? Because he starts on the front foot. He's thankful. He's thankful because of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. That's that's positive. Thankfulness helps us. Remember last week we uh, looked at Psalm 107, and remember how that one started off. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His love endures forever. But within that, thanksgiving does stuff to us that helps us and makes us stronger and healthier and actually nicer to be around. Thankful people don't dwell on the negatives. Thankful people start with the positives and move on from there. You know people because you are people. And actually, when you get to know people, you soon discover that they have issues. Am I right? Do you know anyone who doesn't have issues? I have issues, you have issues, and everyone you know has issues. It's very easy for the issues to become the dominant theme of our interaction and relation with people, right? But Paul says, every time I think about you, I start with thankfulness. Why? Because you've been included in God's family and you love other people. That's big picture stuff. That's worth celebrating. And if we start in those kinds of places, 
we're actually going to end in good places with people. Otherwise, it's all going to be about misery and those grumpy, grouchy people with their issues. And, and we're going to become just like that. So Paul starts with thankfulness. It's a good model for all of us. But where does he go from there? Well, if he begins with thanksgiving, he doesn't end there. He says he keeps asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Now, this is worth unpacking a little. Christian prayer is directed to who? To the glorious Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's because He's the ultimate authority in the universe. And we only dare to approach His throne because of the work of Jesus Christ, His Son. Father, Son, and Spirit are the three persons of the Trinity, united in love and purpose, but with differing functions. So, Paul prays to the Father that the Ephesian Christians may receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know Him better. Well, that's a pretty good prayer to pray for someone. Clearly, the Holy Spirit that Paul is praying for, the one poured out on the church, as we've already heard from the day of Pentecost, is the one Jesus promised would guide us into all truth. So, Paul's prayer is for the Ephesian Christians to receive the Spirit's wisdom and revelation in order that they may know God better. And here, he is explaining and understanding that the goal of the Christian life is not to attend church 52 Sundays of the year. It's not to contribute massive amounts to the offering. Thank you to all those of you who have. It's not to look like you have your life together. The goal, the purpose is clear. It's to know God and to know Him better than you do now. That's that's why Paul in Philippians 3.10 had this to say. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection, participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That was Paul's guiding purpose. Remember how Paul, as Saul, crashing down that road to Damascus, eager to round up Christians, imprison them because he thought they were false teachers and they were declaring stuff about Jesus being alive when clearly Jesus had been killed. And how along that road, light shone on Paul. And his heart was changed as he heard Jesus, the living Jesus, say to him, Paul, you're going the wrong way, buddy. I'm here, and you need to cope with that reality. And of course, that changed Paul's life. He realized that he'd been going the wrong way, and he turned to go the right way. And now what he wanted above all else was to know God better. And he realized that Jesus had made God visible, real, 
comprehensible, understandable, knowable. And what he wanted was to know God better. And so he's praying in this passage that the Ephesian Christians would know him better. How well do you know God? Could 2019 be a year in which, as you reach the end of it in, what, a mere 12 months' time, you'll look back and say, in 2019, I got to know God better. That would make it a good year, I think. It's totally in line with what Paul is saying here. But he hasn't yet finished in what he's praying for these Ephesian Christians. Let's carry on. He wants them to know God better, but he also prays in verse 18 that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know three important things. That phrase, the eyes of their hearts being enlightened, is a bit complex and cumbersome. But I'd paraphrase it as, may they grasp this spiritual reality firmly. Like, may they get a real grip on these three things, and, uh, and we'll look at them uh, one by one. The first thing he wants them to know is the hope to which he has called them. So, what is this Christian hope that he wants us to grasp? Well, it's surely the reality of a renewed heaven and earth when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness. Here and now, we see the same old broken world that we became familiar with throughout 2018, and it's carried on into 2019 without much visible change. But as Christians, we are called to be people of hope because we know from Scripture that God is bringing His kingdom into the darkness, sorrow, and trouble of our present reality. And so, we base our hope firmly on the cross and resurrection of Jesus. No matter what comes, we fix our eyes on Jesus and are confident in the face of death, hell, and evil, and disasters of all sorts, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom that is coming. We need to get a grip on this hope. It's a tough thing to go into a hospital room where someone is dying. I was there this week, but I tell you something. There's something incredibly amazing about the hope that we have in Christ. Angelo had the hope in Christ. Lynn has the hope in Christ. And as we shared time around that bed, we knew that although Angelo was dying, we are not hopeless. We have hope. We have confidence. We're looking forward to the renewal of all things. I love that phrase of Jesus. And the day will come when we dance with Angelo again. Amen? 
That's the truth. And so we grieve, yes, absolutely, but not without hope. And Paul says he's praying that those Ephesian believers, and by extension, all of us, would get a grip on that hope and would hold it in the face of whatever comes. A week ago, I was up here talking about roller coasters, and I told you that I could not tell you what would happen in 2019 other than, than that the roller coaster would take you on unexpected twists and turns. And here we are a week later, and I feel like a prophet. But hey, we have a hope, a serious hope, that is something to grip on and hold on and which will hold us through our lives. Okay, so he goes on. The second thing that he prays for them is that they would know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, the meaning of this verse is a bit tricky. It sounds a little bit like, oh, we have an inheritance coming, but that's not actually what it's saying. Professor F.F. F. Bruce, uh, known to some here, put it nicely when he said, Paul prays here that his readers may appreciate the value that God places on them and his plan to accomplish his eternal purposes through them. So just as a coach will want his players to know that he believes in their ability to play the game ahead, so God himself wants Christians to know that they are highly valued because they are in Christ and part of his plan. Don't you think the people you pray for would want to know that they matter, that they have great value in God's kingdom purposes? That's really the, the nuance of this. That's what Paul is saying, that they would know this inheritance that God has in His people and that they're part of it and they have confidence to stand in that. There are no ordinary people in this church. You are all wonderful. That's, that's, that's really what the Bible is saying here, right? None of you start 2019 as just, Bleh. you're not like that. You're special. You're made in God's image. You've redeemed. You're brought into God's family by adoption. You have value. He has kingdom purposes for you in 2019. This is not going to be a wasted year if you are walking with Him and if you fully understand who you are in Christ. You have value. That's something to celebrate. That's something to pray for. The third thing that he prays for is that the Christians in Ephesus would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. We've entitled this series, Power Praying. And the reason for that is that prayer plugs us in to the power of God. Paul wants the Christians to know the incomparable greatness of God's power that is in us who believe. TNT, weak. Nuclear fission, peanuts. 
the power of God. Now that's the real deal. And in the next few verses, Paul goes on to describe God's power in terms of the most explosive event in the history of the world. What was that? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because in that moment, God took on all the powers of death, hell, spiritual forces in the heavenly places that were trying to keep Jesus down and dead and blew through all that in explosive power, bringing Jesus up from the grave, smashing the grave apart, lifting him higher and higher and higher to the place where he is above every authority ever made, to the center of the universe, the throne on heaven, in heaven, the right hand of the Father, from where he is currently ruling our world. That's power. Amen? That's the power we're talking about here, and Paul wants his fellow Christians in Ephesus to know that power. We are not weak and frail when God's power is around us. We can access that power in the name of Jesus to bring change and transformation to places of hopelessness and darkness and weakness and frailty and the rule of evil in our world. That's what he's saying. Where does this all leave us? Well, I know that some of you are thinking really hard about that long hour that you are facing uh, in the prayer room. And some of you are feeling a bit timid because you think, I don't think I could sign up. A whole hour, a whole hour. Well, out of this, out of these few verses, it seems to me there's almost a little template here. A template that you could actually substitute anyone's name into, and it would look a bit like this. So I think, I think there it is. So what, what if... You had on a little piece of paper, actually, a little piece of paper just like, just like, just like this. Well, there's lots of them available. They'll be over on the connect point. That said, dear father, let's call her Daisy, okay? I don't think we have any daisies here, but we'll call her Daisy, all right? Dear father, I come to you through the finished work of Jesus and with the Holy Spirit's help. I pray for Daisy. Thank you so much for her faith in Jesus and the love you have given her for all her brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you please pour out the Holy Spirit on Daisy so that she will get to know you better? And then it goes on. Would you help her to get a really firm grip on the spiritual truths that she can put all her hope in the coming of your kingdom? that she matters to you as part of your great plan and that she has access to all the power of heaven as she pursues her path, which hopefully is your will, here on earth. Amen. Hey, that didn't take that long to pray. You could pray that for anyone at any time, but you could pray for a bunch of people like that in your prayer time. Practical? 
positive and very scriptural. And maybe, just maybe, we will see transformation and change come out of this as we seek to be prayers and get to know God better this year. Wouldn't that be good? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul and uh, the way that he got to know you and was able to share uh, out of the riches that you gave him. Lord, we come to you not as great prayers uh, this morning. Uh, we recognize only too much how many issues we have and challenges we have. But Lord, we'd love to know you better. We pray that this year, 2019, would be a year in which we do as a community, as individuals. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us uh, these spiritual truths, that we can stand strong in your hope, that we can stand strong in our identity as part of your people and thus your inheritance, and that we can access your power to bring change and hope to our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.